we have this natural tendency to focus on what feels urgent and often what's urgent isn't really important. It's also really easy to make ourselves feel productive when we're just checking tasks off our list and the time sensitive ones are the ones that we tend to gravitate to. So I think what what we need to do is, as leaders is be very, again, very deliberate about that and think through every single activity that we're working on and say, is it urgent? Is it impactful? Is it important for the team? Does it align with my goals? Welcome to the Supermanagers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams collaborate on meeting agendas, track action items, and turn chaotic meetings into productive work sessions. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden, and I'm the CEO of fellow.app. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Chase Warrington. He is the head of remote at a company called Doist. And if that name is familiar, it's because Doist produces the very famous to-do list product called Todoist. And I was very excited to have Chase on the show because as head of remote for a company that has been remote from the get-go, they are definitely one of the companies that a lot of others look up to to learn about how to run remote and to do it well. So the company is about 100 people, but they actually have those 100 people in 35 different countries. So every third person almost is in a different country. So very interesting to get Chase's take on a bunch of different things. And we talked about some very interesting areas, one of which is I think a lot of people, especially in this world of hybrid and remote, start to equate workplace culture as very much equated with socializing and the way that people hang out after work. And it was very interesting how Chase and Dewis think differently and they think it's actually much more about how you do work together and the social stuff is really just an on the side thing. And so we talk about that in some detail. He gives us a detailed breakdown of how Dewis brings people together on an annual basis several times in order to really build strong bonds. And we walk through some of the details of that. And we talk a lot about asynchronous communication, how it's actually done when meetings are appropriate and how they think about that. It's a very interesting company having so many different countries represented and understanding how they really work together and drive asynchronous communication. So all in all, very insightful conversation. And I think for all of us trying to rethink the way that we work in this new hybrid and remote style of working, I think there's lots of tactical tips. Really enjoyed this conversation with Chase and hope that you will too. And of course, if you still haven't given us a review, we're really looking to hit our podcast review goal. It takes only a second. Please give us a five-star review when you get the chance. You can open up your app and maybe do it right now as you're hearing this intro. We'd really appreciate it. It really helps us promote the show. And of course, the Supermanager's Slack is live and kicking. 
Uh, join us. We'd love to have you there. Send us a note to supermanagers at fellow.app and we can definitely get you in there. We discuss all the episodes, the learnings. And I think, you know, one of the best things is you get to hang out with other cool super managers from all across the world. And with that said, and without further ado, here's Chase Warrington on this episode of the Super Managers Podcast. Chase, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, it's really good to speak to you again. You were just telling me that I think you normally live in Spain. You're now calling in from Germany and you and I met in Montreal. So <laughs> yes, we're living the uh, the remote life, I guess. I'm doing a little stint of nomading, I guess. I'm not normally very nomadic. I've been living in Spain for almost five years. You might be able to tell from my accent. I'm not from Spain. I grew up in the US, but yeah, I've been spending the last couple of years living in Spain and now uh, spending the summer up in uh, in Germany, escaping the heat a little bit, supposedly, but it's not been the case. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely true to form, especially for what you do. So you've obviously worked at a bunch of different companies, but one of the things that is, is super interesting about your background is today you're the head of remote at Duist. And, you know, I, I think this is a name that millions of people have heard of, but basically one of the nice things about Duist as a company is that you've just been all remote from the get-go and a lot of companies look to you as an example of a company that does this really well, but you have just started to be the head of remote at Duist. So maybe tell me about that. How did you get into this role? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually just had my annual review yesterday, so it's been one year in this position officially. And uh, it's been a blast. I mean, it's a dream come true for someone that's really passionate about location independence and global mobility and making that happen via remote work. I was really honored to be Duis first head of remote and thankful to all the people kind of ahead of me at other companies that set this precedent for us because um, we are very invested in being a pillar of the remote work community. And, and it's a big part of our brand. It serves our products and it's just kind of baked into the company DNA. So we do try to lead by example and share and build in public. But we do also look to other companies that are doing that. And, and the head of remote role was one of those things that we learned from some of the other companies out there, GitLabs of the world and Darren Murph and, and some of the others. So yeah, it's been a blast and something that I've really enjoyed doing. Uh, I, I kind of pivoted into this position over several years. I've always worked remotely. So a little bit of background, I've been working remotely my entire career, which happens to line up pretty much with Duis trajectory and existence of about 15 years. And I didn't have location independence early on, but I had remote work and I thought that was good enough. And I always wanted to obtain what we now call location independence, but wasn't really sure how to go about that. So that's always been very central to me to make sure that I have that freedom and flexibility over where and when I work. And as I progressed in my career, I wanted to keep that at the center of whatever it was I was doing. And that pivoted through a couple different things. But basically, I got into business development, fit nicely with my background. I was kind of a people person and able to negotiate deals and things like that. But I wanted to do it in a remote location independent setting. So long story short, landed at Duist. And at Duist, the way we defined business development was we wanted to take all those projects out there that didn't really fit perfectly into any other department and have somebody kind of lead them. We have a system we call DRD, which is directly responsible Duister. So we wanted a DRD for all these projects. So one of them was how do we maintain our status 
as a leading remote first company. We're 100 people in 35 different countries and, and we want to remain a part of that conversation. We want actually at the time, we really wanted to insert ourselves into the conversation. We were doing it a little bit, but we wanted to become more prevalent. So as the head of business development, I said, that's a great project for me. I would love for us to take that on. And we wove that into the fabric of the biz dev department. And then eventually went from a side project to something that we wanted to really invest in heavier. And so that became the head of remote role. And I moved into that position. That's awesome. And just to emphasize something that you just said, which was 100 people and 35 countries. Yeah. <laughs> That's one heck of a statistic. That's crazy. Spans all time zones too, which I think is kind of an interesting element. I mean, if you do the quick math there, you go, we've got somebody in every time zone. We've got basically every third person is from a different country. So a super diverse, very distributed team. So yeah, that international remote first aspect is really very core to us. Yeah, it's uh, leaving no time zone behind. So <laughs> yeah, so super interesting. I mean, I, we're going to dig into a bunch of different things. One of the questions that we like to start with, though, is uh, if you were to remember, you know, dial back to the very early days of when you first started managing or leading a team, do you remember some of the early mistakes that you would have made and maybe make less of today? Yeah, I was really bad at delegating and choosing when to offload something. I'm a guess by nature, a little bit of a control freak and want to hold on to the task, the project, kind of do it my way. I've got a vision for how I want things to go. And learning to delegate is an art form, isn't it? I mean, it's, it doesn't come naturally. And I think to a lot of people that have sort of risen through the ranks and whatever it is that they do, they've done it by working hard and being diligent and kind of doing things themselves a lot of times. And I think the ones that really elevate from that standpoint, it's sort of the what got me here won't get me there thing. The ones that really elevate beyond that are the ones that learn to delegate and do so in a really efficient manner. And um, and that was something I was not good at at all for, for quite some time. So how did it change? Do you remember an example or a story of when you kind of clued in on this and how you made an impact to change it? I do actually. Yeah, I've got a pretty specific example. There was a uh, a time in my previous chapter of my career where I had, we'll just call it for brevity's sake, just a, a very big project that I was leading for the company. And I had a team underneath that did their day-to-day -day work, but we had kind of modeled the structure of the team off of every other team that was exactly like us in other geographic areas. And it was not really working in the way that we were going about it. I was supposed to be the point person, the lead person, but sort of delegate odd tasks to people here and there. And that model wasn't really working with this cookie cutter model that we were applying everywhere else wasn't really working here. And I got some advice from our CMO who, who said, you know, what would be great is if you could get good at delegating, if you could get good at passing some of these things off that you're trying to do, you're trying to do everything and it's not really working that well. And so we recreated the whole model, came up with a totally different way of doing things, re kind of rethought the whole process from the ground up and delegated about 50% of what I was supposed to be doing to one or two other people. But that freed me up to focus on this new set of challenges that we were facing in this area. And we knocked it out of the park. I mean, we set all kinds of new records for the company. We became a, this team became a model for what we were trying to do 
in the other geographic areas. And we actually ended up doing like a full presentation to them and, and kind of restructuring the way we did things elsewhere. So it was a huge eye opener for me to one, like, you know, what we've done up until this point isn't always what we need to continue doing. It's okay to reinvent the wheel sometimes. And then two, passing off things to people who are really talented can be the thing that opens you up and lets you step into your light. And that was very true in that situation for me. Yeah, that's a great story. What's interesting is I feel like especially for roles that expand over time, say that you start doing something and it's actually not time consuming in the beginning, but over time, you know, the scope increases and all of a sudden takes up a lot of time, but you're used to doing all of the things. And I think in that kind of like slow creep method where something just gets bigger and bigger, sometimes you forget that, hey, maybe I should go back to the delegation framework. I'm wondering, do you have today like a trigger or a feeling or a gut feeling or something where it's like, hey, Chase, you're doing it again. You're not delegating. That reminds you to go back to things. I have to constantly remind myself. Honestly, it is a forever work in progress, I think, because the innate knee-jerk reaction is just to pick whatever it is up and just do it. Get it done. Yeah, just get it done. And I also work at a productivity company. We got where, you know, Todoist is our flagship product, which is a task manager. And it's very easy. My whole life lives there. It's very easy just to add a task. And so I, I think that trigger is, is really not super concrete, but in a, in a more vague way is this concept of just being stressed and feeling that you're not performing at peak efficiency anymore and recognizing, going a little bit inward and recognizing when that's happening. There's not a specific thing that happens, but I know when I hit that ceiling and when I need to reevaluate my to-do list and say, okay, what can I delegate? And having, I think there's two pieces to that. One is having the intuition and, and developing the intuition to know, okay, I'm hitting that ceiling. And then two, having the tool or the process in place ahead of time so that you're capable of doing that delegation in those frantic moments. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the trigger is if you feel overwhelmed, stretched thin, and you're struggling to figure out what should I work on because there are so many things. I mean, it's also a sign of other things, but also like that may be a, hey, does all of this need to be me? Or should I start to delegate? <laughs> I think the Eisenhower matrix is like so key for people in the world that we're living in, you know, is just, it can move so fast paced and it's really hard to sometimes decide, you know, what's urgent and what's, you know, important and deciding between those two things, being like deliberately vocal about it, you know, even speaking it out loud, is this saying to myself, is this urgent or is it important? And is it impactful? Is it not? Can I delegate this? Can I not? Having those conversations is, you know, extremely valuable. And for those that may not be familiar, so this is the Eisenhower matrix, two by two matrix, urgent and important being like the dividing axes. Where should one spend their time or, or how do you think about things if you do classify them that way? Well, I think we have this natural tendency and I shouldn't try to claim it as my own, <laughs> my own knowledge of, you know, there's plenty of reports and statistics and books on this, but we have this natural tendency to focus on what feels urgent and often what's urgent isn't really important. It's also really easy to make ourselves feel productive when we're just checking tasks off our list and the time sensitive ones are the ones that we tend to gravitate to. So I think what, what we need to do is, as leaders is be very, again, very deliberate about that and think through every single activity that we're working on and say, is it urgent? Is it impactful? Is it important for the team? Does it align with my goals quarterly, monthly, annually, whatever it may be? 
and really hone in on those activities that are very impactful and remove time sensitivity from it. I think we put way too much pressure on ourselves and way too much uh, emphasis on speed. We overvalue speed a lot. And I think we should really be going for, for value and impact. So recalibrating on that can be a bit difficult because I think we're in a speedy world. That's what I try to do for myself. And I won't say it always comes easy. Like I, I have to be pretty actionable about it. I actually have a task on my Todoist that will remind me just weekly just to rethink what I'm doing and make sure that I'm focused on, on impact. What is the task? I mean, this is super tactical, but what is the task called or what does it say? Are you focusing on impact? Ah, <laughs> and it's cool. just a question and it pops up and it pops up every Wednesday and it's like midweek and it's really, really great. I mean, it's been a great reminder for me and I, I, sit, I don't just like check it off. I sit and think about it because by the middle of the week, you've been pulled in a couple different directions. Things have come up that weren't on your to-do list on Monday. Things happen. And so you have to be you know, reevaluating. And so that, that middle of the week check-in with myself is, has been a great little tip that's helped me work through some of that. That's a great tip. So you mentioned it, you know, you are an all remote company, you're also a productivity company. So I want to dig into some of these things because I think it can be very instructive uh, to a lot of people. I have this quote from you where it's related to a lot of people equating a strong team culture with a team that builds personal bonds outside of their work. So in other words, you're going to have a, a great culture if people hang out after work and go for drinks or, or, or do that sort of thing. But your view on this is that it's not about how people socialize, but more about you know how people actually work together. Would love for you to maybe explain that a little bit more and, and why you have that view and why people get it wrong. Absolutely. I mean, and for a bit of like context and, and clarity. I'm, I, I'm a pretty social person. I'm, I'm extroverted. I have a, a group of friends and family that I'm very close with. And I enjoy the, the after work happy hour. One of the things that I lead at, at Doist is our, our, our retreats, our offsites, bringing people together and humanizing remote work is probably my favorite part of my job and, and what I really love working on. So it's not to say there's no value or place for socializing, for bringing people together quite the contrary there's a huge space for that and it and it should be done but when we really get down to it like that's not the thing that unites us we didn't come and join doist to go on a retreat together once a year in an awesome place that's a great addition that's a side dish the main course is is the work the main course is the thing that actually unites us it, it literally is what unites us as a team so we kind of subscribe to this mentality that you know that we're a, we're a team not a family we are brought here to work and when we work, we're going to be very intentional about that work. And we're going to make sure that we create opportunities to connect uh, with each other. And as a remote team, that takes effort. But we're going to make sure that we have that opportunity to connect as a team around work and then sprinkle in the social aspect around that. And I think a lot of teams tend to want to create this environment where the socialization aspect is the culture. And I feel like that sounds a lot better than it actually works in practice. So we've subscribed to the other mentality that we're going to unite around our work. We're going to sprinkle in the social aspects where it makes sense. I think that's a good way to distinguish the two. But I wonder if you also have an example of how you can build a culture around doing the work. I think the way you put it, which is, you know, the socialization is a side dish. It's not the main thing that we do. I think that part makes sense. But maybe give us an example of, you know, how you work together may be part of the culture. 
So this really starts with a, a few things. Like one is having a, a really clear, strong mission statement. And then two, having core values that tie to that mission statement and can connect the dots between that mission statement and the work. So we spend a lot of effort on that. We've refined our our mission statement and our core values multiple times very frequently. We take that really seriously. And I think it's especially important as a distributed team who's not you know, sitting in an office together every day. We need to have those building blocks in place that help us you know, stick together. Then after that, once you have that in place, we need to have the infrastructure that creates opportunities for collaboration. It's, that all sounds wonderful if you actually have a team that you're working with. But when you're working in a silo all by yourself, and you have these nice sounding mission statements and goals that and core values, it doesn't really do a whole lot for you. So we have an intentional system that we've created, we call it the do system, that gives people the opportunity to collaborate with people across the organization from multiple teams every month. So every month that's changing, we're working in these four-week sprints, and you're getting to interact with people from all around the world, different parts of the company, building really cool things, things that really align with what you're interested in, and then we sprinkle in around that these opportunities to connect around personal matters that are also of interest to you. So we're constantly thinking about how can we give people the chance to work together and spend time together around things that actually interest them and that will you know, help them build some sort of a bond and, and team camaraderie. Hey there, just a quick note before we move on to the next part. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already doing one-on-one meetings. But here's the thing. We all know that one-on-one meetings are the most powerful, but at the same time, the most misunderstood concept and practice in management. That's why we've spent over a year compiling the best information, the best expert advice into this beautifully designed 90 plus page ebook. Now, don't worry, it's not single spaced font, you know, lots of text. There's a lot of pictures. It's nice, easily consumable information. We spent so much time building it. And the great news is that it's completely free. So head on over to fellow.app slash blog to download the definitive guide on one-on-ones. It's there for you. We hope you enjoy it. And let us know what you think. And with that said, let's go back to the interview. Thank you for clarifying that. One of the things that I think is related here is just the potential isolation that may come with working remotely. So again, especially, I mean, for for you, 35 different countries, again, like every third person is in a different country. So I feel like if anyone has it harder than other people, I think if you figured out how, how to do this, you know, basically handle isolation and getting people to feel connected, I'd love for you to just give us some thoughts or how you go about that. I think there's two main pieces to this. So there's the one side that we can talk about, which is like within the confines of the quote unquote office, all the stuff we do at work. I think the really interesting part that maybe sometimes doesn't get a lot of attention paid to it is the fact that the way we view work is we see it really as just a part of your life. It's not everything, right? So you have the ability to have a social life and a very engaging life outside of work. And so we really try to encourage people to disconnect from work. Um, we, we're very strict about when you go on vacation, when you take time off, when it's the weekends, when it's after hours, whatever your hours are, whatever you choose. We want people to disconnect and have a life outside of life. We encourage people to work on side projects and share that or to do community service and share that or to say, hey, you know, I'm taking off early to, uh, to take my kid to school or, or whatever it may be. 
So we want you to have that life outside of work and actively encouraging that is one way to prevent isolation. I think a lot of people hear remote work and they see people, they envision people sitting in their bedroom in their pajamas all alone and miserable. And there's a whole big world out there that when you have the freedom of remote work that you should embrace and enjoy. So we encourage that. We also encourage that through perks. Like we pay for people's gym memberships and we pay for people to go do social activities or do uh, meetups with other doisters or go to a co-working, for example. So like we're actively trying to push people outside of that figurative bedroom all alone in your silo. So I think that's one bit. The other is you know what we create inside Doist. We have three main categories um, of this. We have synchronous in-person meetups like retreats and offsites, which we do a couple times a year. We also have like mentorship trips where we send people to work with a mentor. And I just mentioned like Doist or meetup perks. So we pay people to go meet up with other coworkers. So those are like in real life, in person, we're creating those bonds together and we invest a lot in those. And it's a core part of my job, which I love. Then we have synchronous virtual meetups and, and activities, anything from cooking classes to exercise classes to TED Talk style presentations, things like that that give people a chance to connect virtually and synchronously. And then we have asynchronous communication built social channels and and activities. And right now we're playing a game of telephone, the kid game that you played when you were young with, you know, 20 people from around the world and things like this. So we've been, you know, very deliberate about creating those spaces where people can choose to opt in or opt out and participate in these types of things. And I think it's worked really well for us. Like we have a very high bar when it comes to expecting people to feel engaged and satisfied with their social life. And being a remote company, I think you have to, you know, you really have to work at that. Yeah, so that's a lot of activities. So if we're to look at it in terms of how often something happens, so I think it's nice to use the number 100 because it makes you know the percentages work out great. But so for 100 people, did you say twice a year you have everybody come together for an in-person meetup? How does that work? Is it like two days? Is it a week? Yeah, we have two meetups per year, exploring more. I'm hoping for more. We believe in it a lot. We think it's it's kind of the glue that holds things together and pays dividends throughout the year. So we're we're all about investing in it heavily. We have two primary ways that we bring teams together. One is the entire company. We call that our company retreat, all hundred people in one location. It's a full week. People usually come in on Sunday and leave on Friday. And uh, we try to do it in really exciting destinations around the world. And so we just rented a village in the Austrian Alps, for example, and had everybody there in this little village on a lake. And we just had a blast together. I mean, these things are really focused on building team camaraderie, giving people the opportunity to connect. We do some work, but it's not your day-to-day work. It's pretty light on the work. It's meant to give us that chance to connect on a deeper level that we just don't get to throughout the year. And then we have a second type of retreat, which we call mini retreats, which are the individual teams getting together. And so we try to space those out about every six months. So twice a year, you're looking forward to meeting up with your team or the whole company and, and seeing some of your teammates. So would it then be basically because each, each one of these things is spaced out by six months, is it once a quarter you'll meet up either with your team or with the whole company? Is that how it works? It's like, uh, for instance, this year we did mini retreats in February and the company retreat in June. And then, so now we're evaluating when we'll do mini retreats again, probably beginning of of next year. So more or less every five or six months, we want to have some kind of a retreat. So every doister has 
something to look forward to as far as you know getting together face to face with people on in the company. Got it. And so when it's the team, it's a similar sort of structure. Is it also one week that people go away? Yeah, we optimize those for a little bit. It's a little bit less of like a vacation and more like a a little bit more like a work trip. We don't want people having to travel on the weekends. We have some people that have to come in from very far. You know, we have some people in Taiwan and Australia and the south of Chile. And like, it's just probably wherever we go, it's going to be a a long trip and you might want to come in a couple days early to get over jet lag and such. So, but for the most part, people are flying in on a Monday and then it's Monday through Thursday, kind of getting after it. And then Friday is a free day to, to travel back. You know, <laughs> we go a little bit heavier on the work during those mini retreats, but we still keep it very high level. We don't see much value in bringing people together just to do their day to day work. So we put a lot of emphasis on making these fun and interactive and collaborative and doing the things that we don't do super well asynchronously and virtually. And so a lot of that still focuses on the the team connection part. We probably will work on average, you know, three, four hours in the morning and then take the afternoon to go do fun stuff or let people recharge their batteries, go out for a fun dinner, have some activities after that. So we want to find that right balance between making it really interactive and fun and exciting. And also, you know, part of that, again, coming back to what unites us is the work is moving something forward in the work world as well. So we talked about the social part. One of the things that, you know, you can imagine I would be curious about how you folks do is just the meetings at the company and what you think of meetings. Uh, From what I understand, you don't do a lot of them. It is very highly asynchronous communication. And I I think that makes a lot of sense. 35 countries for 100 people. So maybe explain how you approach collaborating and what kind of tools you use for that. And the other thing that I'm also curious about is just roughly speaking, the the mix of the company, is it like very product and engineering focused or their sales folks or, you know, business development folks and how that works and do different teams maybe operate differently? That's a really good question. So taking that last part first to set the stage, we're about a hundred people and about half of the company is engineering and the other half is like other, you know, marketing, finance, people ops, things like that. So in terms of like one particular role, we've got a lot of engineers and product focused people. We also are like a dog food company. So we eat our own dog food. We produce a couple products, Todoist, a task manager and Twist communication app specifically built for remote teams. The context there is we were running on Slack. We built our company on Slack, but we were also feeling a lot of pain as a distributed team working in what we feel is a very synchronous tool in, in Slack. We wanted something different, but there wasn't a better tool out there that really promoted asynchronous communication the way that we wanted to work. So we built Twist and now we run pretty much all on Twist. So it's not to unnecessarily plug Twist, but it'd be impossible for me to talk about how we work without mentioning Twist directly. So we do almost all of our collaboration in Twist. It's very thread-based. It produces a situation where we can basically have a single thread uh, living within various channels for every individual topic and really lets us control how we're notifying people. And we feel like if we're going to do asynchronous communication, then we need to do it really well. And so we pretty much focus on doing everything in Twist that we possibly can, but we use meetings as a last resort. So I think that's the difference between us and a lot of companies, even a lot of remote companies that see meetings as a pretty big part of how they conduct the day-to-day. For us, it really is a, a very last resort. There's a funny 
Twitter thread going around right now where our executives and leaders are sharing a picture of their calendars. And people are just blown away by this because there's just no meetings. I mean, there's our CEO has like one meeting or two meetings a week. And that's just, that's how we function. And a lot of those meetings that are on there are usually like social style meetings. So it's just a a hard lean into async and saying, you know, we're going to commit to that and we're going to be really, really good at it. One question I had is you said your your CEO has one or two meetings a week. Do you do one-on-one meetings synchronously or are those async as well? We do. Yeah. So that, those are the type of meetings like one-on-ones are, are something that a manager would have. You know, Generally, it, it varies. But I mean, I would say the baseline is a, a monthly one-on-one with a direct report. Maybe a new direct report you're going to meet with weekly or somebody that just needs more. We will obviously lean into that as needed. The tendency is to try to reduce meetings as, as much as possible and push things to twist. The, the reason for that is you know, we feel like the one-on-one is a perfect example of when a meeting makes a lot of sense. You want to know how your teammates are feeling. You want to, you need to gauge some of the context clues that you can't get so well in the async virtual world and connect with them on a more personal level. But async provides us with everything being kept in a very transparent and accessible place. It holds people accountable. It gives us a easy way to control our day to day. So without having a bunch of stuff on our calendars, we can create our own perfect workday every day. And we feel like that's a, a superpower that really powers our work, our, our team. So it gives us a lot. There are pros and cons with everything. Like we recognize that it can be a little bit cold. You know, it can be a little bit less friendly, a little bit less humane. And so we we actually had at one point a thread that somebody started that said, like, have we gone off the deep end? And it was basically <laughs> like, have we gone too far with this whole async? Like, don't you dare ask me for a meeting kind of thing. And the truth was is that we had, like, we had to dial that back a little bit. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's a, a core part of my job is to create that that more human element within the remote world, because we do recognize that async standing on its own can have that downside. There are a lot of pros that come with it, but a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of good that comes as well. And so we're just constantly trying to, to find that balance. So it would be great to go through an example. So for example, something that maybe other people do in a meeting format and, you know, something that maybe you don't start that way, use twist, it's asynchronous and where it, as a last resort, maybe turns into a meeting. Just to like really paint the boundaries and how things start and how they might end up in a meeting, for example. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the, the easiest example, there are two that come to mind. The first one is we've never had a all hands. Like uh, we've never had the entire company on one call uh, in 15 years of existence, which is just mind blowing to a lot of people. Like how can you run a company like that? But we just see it as totally useless. Like, I don't get why you would try to get, you know, 100 people from 35 different countries on a call at the same time. We have never done that. What we do instead is like a quarterly asynchronous update, kind of AMA style. We actually do a, a real AMA virtually and in person, in person whenever we get together with our, with our executives. And, uh, and then also virtually, they're invited to do AMAs asynchronously. We, we even have incorporate, started incorporating async video into those. So, uh, like our our CEO responding to questions with a loom um, in the AMA style. So really getting a bit more creative around how you do these sorts of things. And that works a lot better for us. You know, doing it all, all asynchronously allows everybody to get the exact same experience um, around the world. It lets people process their questions. Interestingly, when we do an AMA in person with our executives, 
I get a lot of pushback from people saying, you know, I don't feel comfortable asking a question and directly to the CEO, who am I? You know, I'm an, I'm a new person here at the company. It's very, you know, I'm standing up in front of a hundred people to ask a question to our executive. I'm not going to be brutally honest and challenge something in that environment. In an async environment, I will, or I'll have more time to think about my question and process it and, and maybe challenge something that was said. So it's interesting to see those push and pull. So the all hands is one. Another example is we don't do standups. Like we don't do like a weekly or daily standup. We do all of that asynchronously once a week. And the same goes for like product kickoffs when we're doing sprints related to any kind of project. We, we have 10, 12 projects going on every cycle or every month. And uh, we don't do synchronous kickoffs for those except in you know, extenuating circumstances. You know, if something's really complex, we're not getting it. You know, we, we really feel like we need to bring the team together for whatever unique reason that might be. But 99% of them are done asynchronously. Got it. And so let's take an example of something that people might, you know, today be doing synchronously. Let's say that it's a debate around you're running this experiment within the company and the results are potentially controversial. Like there's data, you kind of have to debate it. So for something like that, maybe what you would do is you would say like, everybody contribute to this document or say on twist. And then there's, there's a deadline. Everybody just respects deadlines. And, and so that's how you get things to be done on a cadence, right? 100% correct. Yeah. So that, that's exactly the type of thing where we would say async is superior to synchronous exactly for the, the reason that I was mentioning earlier, those same pain points that the person might feel standing up and asking a question in that live environment you know, especially people that are a bit more introverted or, you know, often we find like creatives um, who have really great ideas don't thrive in that debatey situation where it's live, but they have really great ideas and challenges to put forward when given the space and time to think about it and craft exactly how they want to write it out. So we actually feel like we'll get the best outcome. Very good example of this is when we were looking at buying the domain for Twist, it was extremely expensive. We had another domain. I don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't as good as twist.com, which is what it is now. It was extremely expensive. We're a bootstrap startup and um, we had to you know, make a decision and we're very big on transparency. I think it's also a key pillar of any really well done distributed team. And we said, let's just be transparent about this. Let's share it with the team. We started a thread. We said, hey, should we buy twist.com? Here's how much it's going to cost. This is what it's going to affect pros, cons. What do you guys think? And the whole company, I think we said, you know, this is Monday, everybody chime in between now and Friday, and then we'll make a decision. And that democratic, transparent approach, giving people time to think through it, produced a much better result than if we had said, hey, we're holding a one hour all hands, everybody chime in live, and then we'll make a decision. Again, like optimizing for speed there probably would have produced a less quality product in the end. That is a good way to describe it. So we kind of touched on, I assume brainstorming is the same approach, right? So if you're brainstorming on a topic, it just makes sense that people can contribute on their own time, let them think about what they want to contribute if they're introverted. If something becomes like there's just a lot of back and forth and it doesn't seem to be resolved, you're not shy to, if two people happen to be in the same time zone or something, to just basically call the other person, right? Yeah, correct. You know, we we recognize it's it's not all or nothing. There's a place and a time and it happens, I won't say frequently, but you know, it's not abnormal to say, "Hey, let's just hop on a call and hash this out. We're obviously not seeing eye to eye or I'm just not getting what you're saying. This would be quicker and better over a a quick call. You know, I'll share 
generally we, we're using Calendly or something like that to set those up or a, a doodle if it's a group to get people on the same page. But yeah, we absolutely do that. And we do have, we will also do like occasional team huddles or some teams have like a standing meeting where they just, you know, once a month, let's all just hop on a call. Whoever can be there, it's optional if you want to be there. And, you know, those are great spaces to hash some of those things out as well. Yeah. So one question I might have, and, and maybe this is a controversial question, which is, so you have 100 people, 35 different countries. It almost seems like you really are going, trying to hire the best possible person. And as a result, you know, they may be in different locations. And, and so this is the situation. But if you had the same company and all of you were in, I don't know, the, the West Coast in the US, would you still operate the way that you do if you were all in the same time zone? My tendency is to say yes. I, th- I think we believe in asynchronous and remote first enough to fully invest in that. I, I don't think we see a lot of value in forcing people to live in a certain place, come to a certain place every day to do their work. We're, we're primarily knowledge workers and I can't see us ever pulling that lever to say, you know, actually it would make sense to do that. It's not to say that there's not value in coming together though. You know, like like the remote world has its drawbacks also, and it can be, things can move a little bit slower. Things can be challenging at times to collaborate on. And if we could just sit down in a room together and hash it out, it probably, that would be great too. But we believe enough in the, in the pros, the general pros that we get and the, and the drawbacks of forcing people to live and work in certain places that I think we would always lean back into the remote first model. Got it. So, you know, Chase, this has been uh, super instructive. We've dived into how to delegate, how there's a difference between socializing and forming a culture around work and some tips and tricks on how to actually make remote collaboration work and going more asynchronous. One question that we like to end on is for all the managers and leaders constantly looking to get better at their craft, are there any final tips, tricks, or parting words of wisdom that you would leave them with? I'll try to be wise. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, first of all, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks for the, the awesome questions and uh, making me think a little bit as well. Now, speaking specifically about the remote space, because I think obviously that's the unique value add that Doist offers, I believe, and uh, unique experiences. And then also so many people are just going through this transition right now is to really get very intentional. For those of you transitioning into a remote setting, thinking about going in that direction, whether it be remote first or some form of hybrid, almost everybody is going to have some form of distribution to their company now. Um, and I think it's just super important to rethink how you are a manager in the old way you were working and in the new way that you're working. The spectrum will vary quite a bit depending on you know where you were and where you are now in terms of that distribution. But the way you manage somebody in the office, a team in the office versus how you manage them at a distance is quite different. And it can be really easy to fall into the trap of, let's just apply all the same methods. You know, We used to do our weekly one-on-one in my office. Now let's just do it over Zoom and just paint that broad stroke and do that. And I would just challenge people to rethink every aspect of being a leader and a manager and try to decide, does it make sense in the new world that we're working in? Is there, is there possibly a better way? Are there companies out there that are doing this differently? And what can I learn from them? Generally speaking, applying old methods to new practices is probably not a great sustainable model for the future. So just challenge yourself on those things. 
That's great advice and a great place to end it. Chase, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app slash supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.